If you haven't figured it out yet, my name is Matt Flint. <laughs> I'm one of the, I'm the oldest person on staff. <laughs> and no. um, thank you so much. I, that was a shock. I didn't know he was going to do that. And, um, and it has been an honor to serve you. Uh, you know, people say, what do you do? I said, I, I serve God. And uh, in my ordination, I had to fill out something, and I put minister to the gospel. <clears throat> and because uh, that makes it so I can serve God in any capacity. Didn't, I didn't come to be a pastor or minister of education or a youth minister. I came to serve God and minister to the gospel. And I've been so fortunate for the last 17 plus years to be able to do that here. Been, it's been an honor, a great, great honor. <clears throat> Saying that, <clears throat> I'm still doing the administration for a while, and what Clayton doesn't realize is I'm in charge of the visa, and I'm the one who puts a cap on how much you can spend on your visa card. <laughs> so Clayton, his cap is coming way, way down. <laughs> so he's going to be denied a lot of times when he's trying to use uh, his, his visa from now on. <laughs> can't believe he did this. Um, Merry Christmas. Uh, I don't know if you, nice thing about the season in my life, we don't have all the little presents for all the little kids because all my kids are grown and they have their own kids and, and stuff like that. And so um, basically all my Christmas gifts are being used right now. I have a great brand new ladder in my uh, garage that my son suggested that I get so I don't fall off the roof when I'm hanging my Christmas lights. So I've got that. Charlene and I went out and, and uh, bought some hiking shoes because we're going to do a lot of hiking when I retire. And so, uh, and then last night we went to Woodland Hills Mall and I'm wearing my other Christmas gift right here. Um, it was something, it was a shock because <laughs> you think it was just a shirt. Yeah, it's just a shirt, but thank you, Charlene, for my Christmas gift because I told her, I said, the other day, I said, what do I wear? I only have three shirts I wear every Sunday. It's either the blue one or the black one or the one with the black stripes, you know. And so she went out and got me a brand new shirt for today. So thank you. So we have no gifts under the tree. So we're basically wearing them or using them already. Um, what I want to share with you today, and I've been very fortunate. Uh, I don't get to preach a whole lot, and that's, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, I'm a number cruncher. I'm sitting in that little office, me and Pam, working the finances but when I do, it usually is around something where I am in my point of my life, uh, whether it's discipleship with experiencing God or when at the last time I preached, I, th I preached on marriage and what we're doing through marriage ministry and things like that. And so today is nothing different from that. And so as I'm, as I'm sharing this with you, please don't look at this as something coming from someone who is on staff and I'm preaching at you. But what I'm doing today is sharing a little bit of the journey that I have been going through in the journey that I'm on. And it's so easily easy to get derailed on your walk with Christ if you don't watch it. Because other things can become a priority. It's very easy to do that. And, and Clayton said this a, a few weeks ago in a sermon. He said, when Jesus speaks, there's an expected response we saw it all the time when Jesus was speaking, and especially if you have the Bible with the red letters and things like that, when Jesus speaks, there is an expected response. And many times the response wasn't always positive, but there is an expected response. And that's the same thing. That's what I've been praying for the last couple of weeks, Lord, put something on my heart. What is it you want me to share? And what is it that you want me to convey so that if I was sitting out there 
and I was hearing these words, what would I do with them? And so that's, that's kind of the, the direction we went. And um, I'm sharing with you uh, in the same sermon series, I mistakenly called it Dumb Things That Jesus Said, and I was corrected by that by Clayton. He said, that's not the sermon series. It's, did he just say that? And uh, I thought, okay, yeah, I was getting confused between the sermon series before of Dumb Things Christians Say. But again, as I began to put this together, the Jewish people, when they were listening to Jesus speak, they were probably saying, man, I can't believe he just said that. It's so dumb. Matter of fact, they got to a point where they got so angry they wanted to kill them. And they did not want to accept the fact that what Jesus was saying, that he was the Messiah, they didn't want to accept that because he didn't fit the profile that they were looking for. They were looking for an earthly Messiah, a kingdom Messiah. They, they, they had read about King David and how Israel ruled at the time when Solomon, when all the kings and the queens would come and, and meet with Solomon. They wanted that day again when they could be on top and Rome would be gone and Jesus wasn't fitting that, that profile. And I begin to, as I begin to look at this in the scriptures that I was going to do, I begin to ask, do we do the same thing? It's easy to point at the Jews and go, how do you not get it? You had the Old Testament scriptures. Even Jesus, when he was on the road to Emmaus, and he was talking to the two that were walking next to him, and they did not recognize him. And as, as they said, stay with us, and they sat down, and he broke the bread, and he, and he began to teach them all the things from the Old Testament. And when he broke the bread, they realized it was Jesus, and he was gone. And they looked at each other and said, were our hearts not burning? As he was speaking, he was speaking from the Old Testament. Why did the Jewish people not get it that Jesus was the Messiah? But here we sit in 2021, almost 2022. We have not only the Old Testament, but we have the New Testament. And I don't think our problem is struggling with the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. I think where we struggle is, do we live our lives as if Jesus is the Messiah. I went with the I am statements. Jesus had seven of them, and here they are. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. And I picked two of these. Three of those he was sharing with his disciples that really didn't cause any issues. They had to try to understand what he was saying. But four of them, when he spoke them, he had the religious leaders around them. And the two that I picked was, were the ones that when he spoke them, the I am statements, they wanted to kill him. And I want to look in today's message of why, what did he say that set them off so bad? Did he really say that? I love the Gospels in this sense. You have four different writers writing, to, in a sense, to almost four different types of groups, and they all are talking about Jesus Christ, who he is, but they approach it in different ways. In Matthew, Jesus is the sovereign who comes to reign and to rule. In Mark, Jesus is the servant who comes to serve. In Luke, Jesus is the son of man who comes to share. But what, in, what is John? How does John portray Jesus? Jesus is the son of God who comes to reveal. And seven times he revealed, I am. 
So to get this foundation set, let's go to John 1.1. Since John wrote about Jesus saying, I am, let's look at John 1, that Jesus is God. This is what he wrote. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know the, the word, word here means Jesus the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, he is the Christ. And it says, in the beginning was, that was, that was and you break it down in Greek, means preexistence. He has always been. Before the universe was ever created, Jesus was. He was there from the very, very beginning. And not only with that, the word was with God. That means there was an intimate fellowship the Son had with the Father. So in this one verse, we get that. And last of all, word was God. Jesus has always had all the attributes of God. And why is that? Because Jesus was God. In one verse, we get, to, we get to see the picture of who Jesus was and is today, has always existed, have all the attributes that read, we read about him in the Father, and that's who Jesus is. But why were the I am statements so critical to the Jews when Jesus spoke them. We have to go back to Exodus 3. In chapter 3, this is where we see the deal where Moses sees the burning bush and he walks out. He wants to see why is this bush burning, but it's not burning up. He goes up there and then God begins to speak to Moses and he shares with Moses how he sees the Israelites suffering and he's going to use Moses to set them free. It's not Moses setting them free, it's God setting them free, but he's going to use Moses. And of course, Moses has a lot of questions. And here's one of the questions he asked God. He says, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am sent you. This is the first time in the Bible where God reveals his personal name. This is, this is not some, well, I am your father or, 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 or I'm going to the store. This I am, when you break it down in the Hebrew, is, is, is describing as, as a statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God is saying this when he says, I am. I exist. I always have. I always will. I don't change. There is no answer to the question of where did God come from. When we look at our lives, we can say, well, you know, it's 2021, and I could share with you, uh, born in Tulsa, and who my, as, and adopted, and who my parents were, and who my sister were, and, and, and the schools I went to, and the, the people and the places I've worked make me who I am. But you cannot look at God and say, well, why is God doing this? What made him do this? There is no one that fed into God where they say, oh, I get it now. I see why he does what he does because he answers to no one. His will is complete. What he wants to accomplish, he accomplishes it. And if you're an Israelite who's been in bondage for 400 years and you have Moses saying, I am is going to free you, they're thinking this is a good deal. We're tired of being in bondage. We're going to get out because I am is going to get us out. How do you see God? In experiencing God, I mentioned that earlier, I was teaching, I think it was about 2019 when I was teaching this, and there's a, there's a day in there, it's called No God. And what they do is they have uh, uh, tons of boxes that you can check of how you've experienced God. 
Here are some of the ones I, I did. I said, comforter in sorrow, wonderful counselor, our father, sure foundation, our guide, our help, our leader, Lord of the harvest, most holy refuge and strength, my support and good teacher. With each one of those that I checked, my mind flashed back to when God was my comforter in sorrow. It flashed back when he was my sure foundation. It flashed back to the most holy refuge and strength. I could put a time in my life when I experienced God like that. Then the next question, it asked me, write down an experience that you had. And so I wrote out, I wrote two. This, these were, I had a, a lot I could put, but the time of the life that I was in, this is what I put. I said, paying off the medical bills that had accumulated over seven years as Kelly fought cancer. It was a lot. We were paying monthly out more than our mortgage, and as that began to pile up more and more, you don't think about it because you're there with your loved one and you're, you're wanting to fight this terrible disease called cancer and walk with them. But in the back of your mind, you just see the medical bill going up and up. And I'm just thinking, I'm going to work the rest of my life and never pay this off. But I can tell you this, it was a God thing of how that thing got paid off. It was a God thing because there was no way I could ever earn enough money to ever pay that off. The second thing I wrote was this. God brought Charlene into my life, brought a woman into my life that I could love and I could cherish because I needed that. I was alone, I was single, and I was adrift, and I needed someone I could love and cherish and walk with, walk with in ministry. And the next thing in that chapter, it says, what name would you give God? And I said, God provided for me, in that time, with those instances, God came through and I experienced God that way. But here's the problem. God exists, but we live our lives like he doesn't exist. Look what Pharaoh said to, to Moses. When Moses went to Pharaoh, said, release my people. We want to go and worship God. Give us a three-day travel to go worship him. And Pharaoh said this, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, and moreover I will not let Israel go. We sometimes refuse to even acknowledge that God exists. Pharaoh did. Pharaoh was basically telling him, I am who I am, and I don't care who, you, who your God is. I'm more powerful than your God. But what's even worse, I think, than just denying the fact that God exists is to believe that he exists, but we don't live our lives as if he exists. This is, I got this from, I was reading somewhere, I don't know where, but John Piper gave this great example. It says, what if at heaven's gate, God would say to us, is it not true that in your life, the more honor and the more importance and power and beauty a person had, the more regard he was paid and the more respect he was shown and the more admiration he would receive? Is that not the case? And we would answer, yes, Lord, that is the case. Then God would say to us, then why is it that I had such an insignificant place in your life since you say you believed in me? Why did you treat me like I didn't even exist? 
Look at what some of the writers in the Old Testament, in Genesis, Moses wrote, create, he's, he's describing who God is and how he experienced him, creator of heaven and earth, God Almighty, El Shaddai, Lord and provide the eternal God, your very great reward. In Deuteronomy, a faithful God, great and awesome God, Lord of our, Lord our God, the faithful God, you who love people. Isaiah wrote this, a, a, a glorious crown, a refuge to the poor, a shade from the heat, a source of strength, he who comforts you, our lawgiver. Psalmist wrote, a a fortress of salvation, a stronghold in times of trouble, father to the fatherless, God my rock, God my savior, God of gods, God who avenges me, he who forms the hearts of all. These were the writers who have experienced God and wrote about how they were to him. I love the, what Ryland in that song that he was singing, that, that last song, where we're going to praise his name forever. And look at the names that kept popping up on there. As those were popping up, I said, there's my sermon. There's the sermon. Right there, everlasting, glorious God. So the Jews had an issue with what he said. Let's, let's, let's look at this. He called himself I am over 6,828 times Yahweh was used. The Jews would not even say Yahweh. They would say Adonai because they, they thought it was so holy they wouldn't say it. So here's Jesus in John chapter 6. This is the I am the bread of life. It's a whole sermon. You could teach a, a uh, tons of sermons off of this, but I'm just going to share some verses with you. Uh, but he says, this is where he used, I am the bread. And this is, starts in verse 32 of chapter 6. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And here it comes. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I, say, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose, I should lose nothing of all that, has, that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I'll raise him up on that last day. When he's using bread here, it's the same bread when he looked at Satan and said, man shall not live on bread alone. In that case, he was talking about food. You know, you know he, Satan wanted him to turn the rocks into bread so he could eat. You know, he's been fasting for 40 days. And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone. But the bread he's talking about here is not the nourishment of physical bread, but is spiritual. But this is what set the Jews up in an uproar when he said, I am the bread of life. Acknowledging that he was God. And this even made it worse. Look in verse 32. It says, but my father gives you the true bread from where? From heaven. So Jesus is claiming, not only am I the bread, I am from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And this is where he switches it around. He says in verse 38, for I have come down out of heaven. This is why the Jews were going so crazy. Because not only was he claiming that I am, but he was saying, I am God and I came down from heaven. Isn't it awesome though? What do we celebrate at Christmas? We're celebrating the birth of of the Lord, the Lord, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ in a major. And where did he come from? He came down 
out of heaven. That's why we celebrate. Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega. Jesus is the was, is the was, the is, and always will be. He is the gift from God to us in humanity. And look at what this gift does. Look in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven to do what? Gives life to the world. This bread is not about biological life. He's talking about spiritual life. If you take me in, you will have eternal life. We didn't read it, but in verse 41, it says the Jews started grumbling. And why did they grumble? Because they said, isn't he the son of Joseph and Mary? They had the Old Testament scriptures, and they still didn't get from the scriptures that he would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. But they didn't recognize him because it's not the Messiah they wanted. What feeds your soul? You've, many of you have heard my testimony, and I won't share the whole thing, but I can tell you this. I grew up in church. I've seen the certificate that said Matt Flint Cradle Roll. Didn't really know what that meant at the time, but it had my name on it. And I, was on, I started in the Cradle Roll, and I, I can't remember a time that I was in church. I remember being a little kid. I had the little suit jacket, had the little clip-on tie, and I had the attendance with the, perfect, the bars hanging down. Went to VBS back when VBS was two weeks. Memorized scripture, did all of that. But I had a great head knowledge of who God was. Probably sat in a pew many times and, and in my head said some prayer of salvation. But I never surrendered my life to Christ until I was 30 years old. I was 30 years old when I humbled myself and got on my knees and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I would follow him because he'd be my Lord and Master. What feeds your soul? What do you feed your soul with? It's so easy, and I understand this because this is what I did until I was 30, and I still fall back, and this is the struggle that I deal with. But before I was 30, it was about, it was about the job. It was about affirmation through my career. And do we do that? Are we trying to climb the corporate ladder to seize the success that we want to have? Do we try to make more money so we can have more things, thinking that will bring us happiness and feed our souls? Maybe it's, maybe it's being even seen in a certain way. Maybe we want to be seen on Facebook or Instagram in a certain way. When people see it, they just go, wow, I love that. I want that. I want to be like them. Maybe that's what we crave because we kind of feel like we need that. Maybe it's depression or anxiety and, and, and we, we're feeding our souls some other way so we can crawl out of that hole. But all those things are temporary. The only thing that can truly feed our soul is Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. And now I'm about ready to go in retirement. I have to ask the same question. Isn't it funny when you're in elementary, you can't wait to get to middle school. In the middle school, you can't wait to get to high school. In high school, you can't wait to graduate. You can't wait to get a job. You can't wait to get married. You can't wait to have kids. Then you can't wait to be empty nesters. Yes, praise the Lord. The kids are out of the house. <laughs> and then you get at the empty nest. You say, when I get to retire, I'm looking forward to it. It's always something down there, but it's always temporary. And I don't want to fall in the trap to think in retirement, oh, yes, now I'm retired. Life starts here. No, life starts with Jesus and the bread. I am the light, John 8, 12, 20. This is the second statement he said. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. 
in your law is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We see that Jesus was in the treasury, and I I was reading in a commentary that because it was the feast of the tabernacle time, this is the time where the Jews were celebrating when they were wandering in the wilderness and God provided water for them, and he provided not only the manna, but he provided water, but he also provided direction. For 40 years, they wandered the wilderness. How did they know where to go? What we know, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of light by night. And the historians write that in the treasury where Jesus is standing, everybody's welcome there. They have all these candle operas and thousands of candles are lit. And they say at nighttime, when you looked at the temple in Jerusalem, it shined like a diamond out there. And here's where Jesus is sharing with them, I am the light of the world. I don't know what time of day it was. Was it in the morning and the candles weren't lit? I don't know. But the symbolism there, he was making a big point. And here's the key. The Jews knew what point he was making too. He was associating himself with God again. He's using the I am statement, making himself equal with God, and then he's saying, I am the light. The Jews understood what darkness was. They had Isaiah. They had the Psalms. They had the Old Testament prophets. And when you talked about darkness, you were talking about sin. Isaiah 42, I am the Lord. I've called you into righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant, give you as a covenant for the people. What is he going to give him? Here's the kicker. This is what Isaiah said. A light for the nations. The Jews knew that Jesus was claiming to be the light in the nation. Not only was he claiming to be the light, he said this to them also. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. The Israelites knew that the pillar, that the light coming down helped the Israelites, the Jewish people wander in the, in, in the, in the desert gave him direction. But here Jesus was claiming to be God, and he was also claiming this, follow me, and you will not have to worry about your sin. Only through me will you have eternal life. Follow me. And they weren't willing to follow. What light do you use in the darkness? What do you follow? Quick story, when I was a youth minister at Sequoia Hills Baptist Church, we took our youth group to Arkansas, to Devil's Den State Park. I'd been there many times as a scout, had been in this cave called Devil's Den Cave. And it's a pretty long cave, and you can walk all the way into it, but you get to a point at the very back where either you go left and you go up a ways, and you're crawling, and it just stops. Then you have to back out. Or if you go another way, you get to a point where some people can make it all the way out. Not many people go that way because you end up walking in water and all this kind of stuff. But I had this youth worker with me, and we were going through the cave, and his flashlight goes out. I forget what happened, but I still have mine. No big deal. He just stays close to me. And we get to the part, he says, I want to try to go all the way through. And I said, okay, let's do it. So we get there, and I get to a point where the wall is just like right here on the front and my back, and you're trying to get past, and I couldn't go any farther. I mean, you know, this thing right here just does not allow me to get past that little area. And the youth worker with me was really skinny. And so I said, I can't make it. He said, but I still want to try. 
And I said, okay, so we back up enough where we can switch places. Here's the problem. We only have one flashlight. And he's never been in this cave. And actually, he's going to a place I've never made it past that point. So I handed my flashlight and said, go for it, dude. So he goes, now I'm in pitch black. There is no adjustment of eyes to the darkness. It, that doesn't happen because it's pitch black. And so I'm just feeling my way on the walls and taking steps, taking it slow. I don't want to do something stupid and sprain my ankle. And every once in a while, someone else is coming into the cave and they got a flashlight. And all of a sudden, you see a little bit of light coming. And oh, I'm just hurrying at that point. I'm just like, you know, keeping my hands on the wall, but I can finally see. But then they pass me and I'm back in the darkness. And then another person would come and I'd hurry. Finally, I made it out. It took forever. didn't hurt myself. But when I was doing this, this, that story came to my mind because is that what we do in life? Do we feel our way around? Every once in a while, we get a glimpse of light and we push forward and we think, this is what I'm supposed to do and I'm hurrying down this way and then all of a sudden it's past us and I'm back doing this again. And the negative thing about this is if you do it long enough, this becomes normal. This way of life becomes normal. You think, well, this is life. You don't think you're in a dark cave with no light until you meet Jesus Christ because he's the true light. He is the one that gives us light. And so the temporal things that we have in here really don't make any difference. The things that we own, the things that we have, coming up to retirement, it really doesn't matter. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to rock their world. And because they've only known the law, they've only known what the Pharisees have shared with them, and they're living their life the best that they can because this is all they've known. And Jesus looks at them and said this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he begins to go through this litany of things uh, about mourning over your sin and about um, being humble uh, and have that attitude of humble and seeking uh, and hungering for, thirsting for righteousness. If you'll do these things uh, and be peacemakers and, and be pure in heart, if you'll do these things, guess what's going to happen? He said, you're going to be persecuted, but rejoice in that, for that is a great is your reward in heaven. But he's basically saying, if you'll do all those things that just seem unnatural to those disciples, if you'll do all those things, here's what the result will be. You'll be the salt of the earth, and you'll be the light unto the world. And in 5.16, he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works. And what's the result of them seeing your good works? Glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus was saying is, if you'll do this, if you will be poor in spirit, you're coming to God with nothing but a, being a beggar. If you'll mourn over your sin, if you'll be, have an attitude of humbleness and meekness, and if you'll seek and hunger after me, if you'll do these things, you will be the light of the world. Not the true light, but a reflection of it. And others will see that light. And the Father will get glory. Peter states this in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as what? As evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter was sharing with them, let your light shine so that even those who don't like you and want to persecute will see your good deeds and they will come to God and glorify him. Let me close with this. 
I said in the beginning, I was hoping, praying for two different responses. Clayton said that when Jesus speaks, there needs to be a response. And here's the response I was praying for. One, you're sitting there in that chair right now and you're celebrating Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, worthy of our honor, our praise, to humble ourselves before him. And you come and celebrate Christmas, yes, with family. And yes, there's the traditions that we have, but we know the true meaning behind Christmas is because we are thanking and praising God for keeping his promise for a way, way of salvation. That was my prayer that those of you who know him or just a big smile on your face is, yes, I'm there right there with you. Here was my other prayer. Maybe you're struggling to fill in the blank of who the great I am is in your life. Maybe you're like me sometimes, and you allow the things and the tempor temporary things in life that I set my goals on to do this or set my goals to do this, and all of a sudden my focus gets off of God and I'm looking at the temporary things. And then I have to struggle to get back to focusing on who God is. Who is the great I am in your life? How would Jesus fill in this blank? I am your what? In verse 21, we didn't read this, but after Jesus shared with the religious leaders, this is what he said in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. For the religious leaders of the day, Jesus would fill in the blank, I am your rejected Messiah. And the bread of life sermon, after Jesus was sharing, if you have to read this whole sermon, but it gets into the part, and he said, did he really say this? He did. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He said this several times, and in verse 66, this is the response to that. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So for those who turned away, this is how Jesus would fill in the blank for them. I'm your teacher who you will follow only when it's easy. But for the apostles, Jesus would fill in the blank this way. I am your savior. And how do I know that? Look at that verse 68 and 69. After all those disciples that were following Jesus walked away, he turned to his apostles and said, well, are you going to leave too? And Peter said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One. How would Jesus fill in this blank for you? I'm your what? I hope he would put, I'm your Savior. Awesome thing about the Bread of Life sermon, Jesus gives an invitation. He gives a path to salvation. Verse 35 says, he who comes to me. The first step that we have to do is we have to come to Jesus. But here's the key. That's not enough. A ton of people came to Jesus, but then they walked away. Look at what it says in verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, we have to not only come, but we have to look. And when you look at that word look in the Bible, it is to study, it's to scrutinize, it is to dig into who he is. But that's not enough. You can come to Jesus, you can study about him, but here's what you have to do. The third thing, this is how verse 40 ends. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. It's all about the believing. Believing is the bread. And you don't eat bread unless you're hungry. 
We have to be hungry for Jesus if we're going to eat the bread. And my prayer is that we come to Jesus that same way. We're starving for something to feed our soul. Are you hungry for the bread of life? If you're one that is here today going, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, praise God. But maybe you're like me who came to church forever but never really made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're like me and you're going, you know, I know he's my Lord and Savior, but I really haven't been living my life that way. I'm going to pray here in a little bit, and then Clayton's going to come and close us out. But I'm going to make this offer to you. If you're interested about coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to meet me back there in that corner room, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to sit there and say to you, well, if you just say this prayer, you'll be a Christian. I'm not going to let you off that easy. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can come back in that room back there, and we'll sit down. And then we're going to set up a time where we can meet, and I'm going to let God's Word speak to your heart about who He is. And I'll let God speak to you, and you'll come, and, let, and then you can make the decision whether you want to follow Him or not. And if you want to follow Him, we'll be here to disciple you and carry you on. But I want God's Word to speak to you there. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for loving us so much. You are so faithful. Anything that you say comes true. You promised a Messiah and you gave us Jesus, a baby born in the manger, King of kings, Lord of lords, worthy to be worshipped, Heavenly Father. The Jewish leadership would not worship them, but you sent wise men from the east to bow down to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Heavenly Father, my prayer is today, let it be a celebration of who you are, your love for us. Let us celebrate your son. Lift him up and praise his name, Heavenly Father. And if there's anyone in this room who may be just struggling, well, I don't know. How would Jesus fill in that blank? Or maybe they're struggling with, maybe I haven't been living the life I should. Heavenly Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will speak to their hearts. And they will come, they will look, and they will believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.